Blog Talk Radio. everyone, and welcome to Grassroots Holistic Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Baba Tahuti Wesley Gray, speaking to you live from New York City, Monday evening, the 19th of May, 2014. Again, it's a pleasure to have you join us, and as always, we begin by paying homage and praise to the one most high God, to our ancestors, to my dear wife, my beloved mother-in-law, and my daughter and her family and siblings and godsons and their families, and of course, all of you throughout the cyber world and the social network family and friends, I bid thee namaste, peace and love. So we are continuing this evening from where we left off about actually a week ago with reviewing the book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa. Uh, I know that those of you who have been uh, privy to listening to the previous reviews on the show with this book have found it to be fascinating. Uh, My wife and others have shared with me that, indeed, it's a book that has uh, quite a bit of wisdom, needless to say, uh, The Healing Wisdom of Africa. It's quite revealing in terms of a unique culture that Maladoma shares with us from his experience as being a member of the village uh, known as the Dagara people of West Africa. For those of you who do not know, Maladoma is a shaman and a scholar uh, who introduced Western readers to the rituals that breathe meaning into the daily lives of his African seekers. And his journey is a simmering missing piece in the story of, of the earth, says Alice Walker. And uh, she basically proclaims Maladoma's work uh, as it takes readers on a tour of the two worlds as he relates in his story of his youth as an African village member, and as well as his education within the Western and traditional African ways. Now, 
In the healing wisdom of Africa, Maladoma writes specifically of the generations old tradition and knowledge of his people, the Dagara, who are known throughout West Africa for their healing abilities as well as their spiritual practice. Maladoma explains how the, the uh, Dagara accumulate firsthand knowledge of the deep spiritualists and as well as the healing powers. And within the book, he shows how the most important aspects of the village, that being the life uh, revolving around ritual community as well as healing that that ritual brings. And in addition, he teaches the various ceremonies and the rituals so that the Western readers may begin the healing and initiation processes themselves, and as a consequence, being able to discover the genius and gifts within themselves and finding their life's true purpose. And the larger scheme of creating community, Mount Odoma also describes the power of gathering and of engaging in the various traditional rituals of fire, uh, water, earth, mineral, as well as nature. He explains how simple stones from the ground can be understood to retain the memories of generations and how charitable giving can infuse a foreign journey which, with richness and protection, and also how homage to the earth around us adds depth and thankfulness to our daily life. I know that as of late, I was telling my wife that I, uh, every morning, go out into the backyard and make it a practice to not only um, practice libation, but to just, before anything, to touch the earth, to resonate with the earth. And 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 my birthday. Hi, honey. My wife just walked into the um, the studio, and maybe she might just like to say hello for a moment and come back later if more too. Good evening, everybody. I'm glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to hearing Baba talk about the book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's a great book. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, is I hope you can realize that this is a very impromptu uh, type of show, and um, we try to not project any type of pretenses and pontification of, of, of any nature, as it were, and to really just embrace the concept of, of sharing and to be able to teach each one, each one, teach one. Uh, as I review the books that I've read and, and I deem them to be maybe worthy and of interest to be shared on a show, um, I'm constantly learning. And, of course, I'm constantly teaching as well. And, and I just, you know, like this, this opportunity. So this is really a blessing, to say the least. So this evening we will be reviewing the section of the book that deals with communal grief ritual um, as well as the earth. Uh, ritual of Reconciliation, Ritual of Libation and Prosperity, and also, before the show ends, we will touch upon Earth Rituals. So let's not, uh, let us not remain in a stagnation of uh, introduction, as it were. Maybe stagnation isn't the word, but uh, let's just delve and move forward without any further ado into the concept of communal grief, communal grief ritual. Okay, so let us then go to the ritual involving someone who is struggling 
as Maladoma begins to state in his book, someone who is struggling with some serious loss, such as one of those named above. And one of those named above would be uh, someone in your family, someone within the community, um, your spouse, a loved one. And he, he states that the central water element here is tears because we're talking about loss. The group would come together around the, that person, forming a village to help him or her to heal from the loss by going together into the person's grief. And then he goes on to state that the responsibility of this village is to show that the person that he or his loss is a loss for the entire village. And this, of course, reminds me of us, even though we haven't lost them in terms of their life, we pray, but there's the loss of the freedom of more than almost 300 young girls in Africa, in the country of uh, Nigeria, in Africa. And this happened about three weeks ago, I believe, approximately. Right, huh? A little longer now. Maybe a little longer. It's going into a month. It's going into a month. Yeah. So, indeed, those of us throughout the African diaspora are grieving. Yeah. And if I dare say, those of us throughout the world, of all ethnicities, are grieving. Yeah. And this is... Um, um, galvanized or brought together those of us of the human race who are healthy and sane and have a spiritual consciousness on whatever level to understand that what's happened with these young girls is an inhumane um, deed. It's a tragedy. Yes, indeed. So what I'm reading is something that's just, which is apropos to the process, as Maladoma explains, about grieving, communal grieving, and so forth. So uh, I'm always saying that everything is in divine order, and I didn't think about it until just a moment ago. It passed my mind that what I'm reviewing is very applicable to a huge situation of concern. So can we take just a moment of silence, uh, a few seconds, and silent prayer for the return of those girls, of our daughters, because they are, we all, all children belong to us as adults, and especially as elders. So we take a moment. Okay, Ashe. Ashe. Yes, we, we appeal to the hearts of those who are guilty of this dastly deed for their hearts to open up from a state of darkness and to understand and reconsider that what they've done is wrong and to undo the wrong that they have done to these young girls. There's no justification for it. Not at all. Not at all. So... You know, we are going to move forward with the vision, as it were, that they will be returned safely to their families and be able to continue their life's journey 
receiving the education that they had been receiving and pursuing and to be able to live a fulfilled, a fulfilled, uh, purposeful life. So let's go back to the book of Water and the Spirit, or should I say the Healing Wisdom of Africa, I'm sorry, that the success of the water ritual is ensured by the presence of intense focus attention and it's therefore the group's responsibility to know as much about the person as possible. The village gathers in a circle, placing the person in the middle, and at the core of the ritual, the person's communicating to the village his or her loss. And the person's story of loss triggers a variety of spoken responses from the villagers, each with response emphasizing and if not re-emphasizing the story told by the person. Attention and emphasis is in the response, and it must be on why this loss has chosen to befall this person and what it is trying to tell and what it is saying to all of us. Now, Malam Doma goes on to state that he has to reiterate that the indigenous address events, illnesses, and natural disasters as if they are living entities. Now, that's interesting. They, they relate to these emphasis, uh, these uh, occurrences as living entities. So a person with a fever could talk to the fever. And in the case of loss, the person in the sense of the ritual says something to the effect that his or her house burned down, stirring up the feeling of homelessness. The response from one person would come in the form of a question directed at spirit and emphasizing the emotional wound caused to a brother or a sister in this sad event. Another one will confirm that the burning still continues and is in fact burning everyone into exile. One after another, people will expand this symbol, stretching the loss of the one into the loss of many. And after deploring the loss and the paralysis that it produces, the villagers must each speak about something in the person that is irreplaceable to the community. And then one after another, the villagers tell the person about how the village cannot survive or continue without him or her. And this statement must be sustained with emphasis from the person's life. Every statement is punctuated with spontaneous collective grieving. And the philosophy behind this is that visibility and recognition are resources or sources, rather, of empowerment, where anonymity leads to self-doubt and eventually to failure, people need to hear good things about themselves told to them with sincerity, honesty, and integrity. There is a force in this that always allows the person to thrive. And this is nothing like being seen within this kind of light. The healing comes when the sick energy that grows into the darkness of the isolation becomes upset by such intense recognition, and after a little struggle and resistance, it rushes away, leaving its victim feeling liberated. In almost every case, many tears are involved. I think of my wife and I, who have experienced various grieving experiences and uh, occasions within our uh, unity as husband and wife. 
and that indeed, without naming names and dealing with specific situations, we recognize that there are so many people, and I'm sure you, the listening audience, might gravitate to this as something that's inherent within your particular life's journey, that there are so many people in your circle of influence, rather it be uh, family members or so-called close friends or distant friends or acquaintances who are uh, who have gone through some type of disconnect with spirit, disconnect with their fellow uh, 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 human associate, as it were. And, of course, they're dealing with being disempowered. And with that disempowerment, they lack sincerity, honesty, and integrity. And they feel somehow that this is a normal state to be in. It's almost like the child who's raised up in a family where there's violence between the parents or they're being mistreated. And they're inclined to think that there's nothing wrong with this. This must be the way people live because they haven't traveled out, out, outside of their sphere of influence. And lo and behold, they grow, and mom or dad allows them to go uh, visit a friend and spend some time with the other friend's family, and they find such a huge contrast in terms of the way their friend's family treats them and the way they're living. And they come home, and they act out. Or they go to school and they're not doing their schoolwork and they act out and so forth. And of course, eventually this comes to surface. And what happens? Either the members of the family, the immediate family who are healthy, will notice something's wrong and eventually they get to the core of it and, and it has to be addressed. Or the school or an official comes to the home or to the school who's very well trained and they intercede, and of course, hopefully, the child is rescued on one level or another, either by the parents and, and all the other people involved with the mistreatment of that child comes to bear, and they are, are treated and rehabilitated, and, and, and there's some type of harmony that's established and normalcy in terms of family um, growth and well-being, and the child is no longer in danger. And its journey is not hindered in terms of its life's purpose. So ritual is very important. And there are various types of ritual throughout the world in terms of different people and definitely the indigenous communities throughout the world. But these rituals in the, in the indigenous communities are steadfast. They've been... Uh, carried on from generation to generation to generation. And it's not until modern, modernity uh, seeps in into the indigenous community and the children leave and they go into other communities, namely referring to the Western Hemisphere, as it were, where rituals are maybe practiced, but a lot of times they're superficial 
if not superficial, they don't get to the core essence of the of the of the of the soul of the community, of the soul of the individual. And in this case, of get to the core of those who are breathing, so that indeed they can heal, without going through uh, therapy, which it doesn't have any spiritual uh, connotation to it or application involved with it, or some type of religious orientation, which is very superficial and dealing with the surface, not getting into the core. Or if it does, to some degree, it is not lasting. It doesn't have any longevity. And this has to be ongoing. So Maladoma goes on to state that in ritual that involves a much larger crowd, there's no time or adequate uh, structure to provide individualized attention. Instead of a circle, people gather as a throng in an egg-shaped space, one end of which is designated as the village and the other end as the shrine. The egg form befits a water ritual because it represents life and formation. It symbolizes the process of creating order. And the village area is the place of gathering emotion. And these people focus on the energy of their emotion. The shrine is where the higher charged emotion must be released. Also, the, the shrine must be built carefully. Usually a community shrine will have a stature proportional to the size of the community. For instance, you would not produce a miniature water ritual shrine for a village of 100 or more people. The average village is about 150 people. This means that a shrine would normally have the size of a hut. And indeed, the shrine can look like a hut cut in half vertically. It is built using elements freshly borrowed from Mother Nature, such as tree branches, plants, flowers, and so forth. And its form depends on the creativity of the village. But more often than not, a shrine of this sort will look like a gateway with an arch form atop the wide base. The surface of the base serves as a doorway to the other world. And as such, it requires the reverence and respect due such a gateway. Here in the West, the shrine would be best if it reflects the imagination of the people who are building it. And that is not prescriptive, but rather suggestive. The egg-shaped space between the village and the shrine is arranged as a place of chaos. And by this I mean, says Maladoma, that there is no organized path for the human traffic. Here people loaded with emotion will walk toward the shrine, attending to unload the weight of grief into the other world. Others walk back, walk back to the village after relieving themselves of their burden at the shrine. There is no prescribed way of uploading emotion, just as one cannot dictate how emotion is expressed. People should feel free to follow their instinct in this matter. The overall sense is of a volume of moving human traffic. The middle space filled with back and forth motion of people symbolizes possibilities the possibility of access between one world and another. It is also a linking agent, a conduit, a place of hope. Once the ritual space has been prepared along these lines, the villagers begin their inner preparation. It is sometimes useful for them to get together in a small groups of eight or 12 people to tell one another what causes them grief. 
And this is because grief does not necessarily come on demand. It is something that must be evoked through stories and images. And one of the ways of triggering emotion is to speak about it or hear about it spoken about by others. Because telling the stories of grief, each small group makes uh, first makes a prayer to spirit, requesting his presence to help block, block out which causes tension, paralysis, and distress. The purpose is to help break the seal of grief, creating the atmosphere conducive to emotion. Each person should have bought an object symbolic of his or her loss, which will be described in the form of a story to the rest of the group. And usually, deep emotions are shared in the course of these preparations, even before the gathering of the general group. Every grief story has similar elements. And this is why one story invites another. This process can take hours. And after everyone has shared their story with their small group, the small group rejoins to engage in the ritual proper. A strong feeling of emotional tension has already been built, propelling the griefing process forward, organizing a procession, if space permits, towards the ritual village and the space already prepared for the ritual itself will symbolize this forward movement. It will also emphasize the depth of the internal journey required in order to heal. At this point, I'm going to take a break, and we will return and talking about the procession uh, and various other aspects of this particular ritual that we're talking about in terms of healing. So please stay with us, and we will be back in a few moments. celebrities and professional athletes are raving about. Chiavita is a unique blend of premium exotic fruits and botanicals like acai berry that is called the wine of the Amazon and yerba mate tea, something of a green tea, which is the beverage of God from the Brazilian rainforest, which is the national drink of four South American countries. This drink is designed to enhance whole body wellness to bolster the immune system, to quickly increase energy, and to support weight management by boosting metabolism and controlling appetite, and it assists in leveling one's blood sugar, just to mention a few of its benefits. Within minutes of drinking just one or two ounces, Chia delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for hours, not minutes, along with greater mental clarity and focus and a feeling of calmness and well-being there's an energy surge without the sugar rush, without the jitters, 
and without the crash and burn or harmful side effects many other products can produce. Chia Vida is an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage that most people find results within the very first time they try it, and subsequently they want to drink it over and over again. Even though people consistently drink for the immediate benefits, the amazing thing is the longer someone drinks Chia Vida, the more improvement they notice in their overall health. For more information, please go to healthisalwayswealth.com. Again, I repeat, that's healthisalwayswealth.com. Or you can call directly at 888-338-2508. Again, that's 888-338-2508. Reconciliation takes place. 
And following this, there must be a prayer to the ancestors, requesting their presence at the ritual and their stamp of approval and their sanction of its sacredness. Songs of grief must be intoned by someone and taken up by the entire village. The song must be supported by drums, rhythm, and chant are two sustaining ingredients in community community rituals. And together they constitute the umbrella overarching the community engaged in this healing journey. And shortly after engaging in the song, each group must go one at a time to the shrine, and each member, one after another, steps forward to place his or her object of grief on the shrine. The shrine is guarded by gatekeepers posted on either side. The actual ritual does not proceed until all the groups have checked in at the shrine, released their bundles, and returned to the village area. The bundles, because they represent the sum total of the losses of the village, together constitute a magnetic point that pulls the emotional self toward it, the same way a light in the dark attracts insects. Once everyone has gathered in the village, the actual grieving begins. As emotion builds up in the people, they move to the shrine and release it, and then return to the village to build up again. Any person who is moved by emotion begins to heal towards the shrine and must be discreetly accompanied by someone who is not emotionally loaded in order to protect them. There is a danger that a highly emotional charged person might not distinguish between unloading their emotion and throwing themselves bodily into the shrine. The pull to throw oneself into the shrine is so intense that someone must be there to ensure that only the emotion stays at the shrine and the person returns to the village where he or she belongs. Much praying, lamenting, and grieving takes place. People may spontaneously throw themselves to the ground, convulsing in grief. The danger for a person who has never grieved is that once he or she begins, there is an avalanche of emotion that wants to come out all at once. It is not recommended to wait in the village until you become like an overinflated balloon of grief before going to the shrine. Because if you do, you might simply want to end your life by walking into the other world. Your fascination will be overstimulated by the intensity you carry within. The way one proceeds to the shrine is determined by the intensity of one's feeling. You cannot walk slowly and majestically toward the shrine when you feel as though you're going to explode at any moment. If you are busting inside or bursting inside, you must rush your burden to the shrine. And similarly, you must you don't rush an emotion that is not rushing you. It is the job of the assistant who accompanies the person grieving to look after that person and ensure they, their safety. The assistant pays attention to the place he or she is moving, keeping the one grieving from throwing themselves headlong into the gateway to the other world. The assistant's attention must be demonstrated by his or her ability to maintain the appropriate pace of things. In the village itself, people both grievers and non-grievers sing in unison. Some dance as they feel moved to, and everybody must allow their body to swing to the melody of the chant and to hear 
the beat of the drum. Responding to music and rhythm allows emotion to build so that it can be unloaded to the shrine. It is not permitted to cultivate solemnity in the will in the village because solemnity encourages withdrawal and suspends participation. The village is a place where energy must flow and stillness opposes that flow. Solemnity encourages stillness and must therefore be discouraged. There is no telling how long the period of commuting between the village and the shrine will last, as long as there are emotions to be unloaded and the ritual must continue. And this is, in this way, the Garrett tradition, such as ritual, usually takes three days. Meanwhile, other life functions are either suspended or operate at a minimal capacity. And when the emotional stream is unleashed, it has to drip itself to dryness because before it is able to stop. Otherwise, one can become sick from repressing emotion. The ritual does not end until it feels as if the emotion force is dissipating. And at the end, the entire village chants his way to the shrine and continues to chant while a special task force collects all the bundles from the shrine. Each person in this group must be cleansed in some way prior to the collection of bundles. The cleansing is usually done with sacred smoke from sage and herbs. And while the collection is taking place, smoke is spread as a thick wall between the village and the shrine where the bundles are being gathered. When the task force finish, finishes collecting the bundles, they walk away with them in a tight formation to a place where they would carefully bury them in the ground. Then they wash themselves someplace where there is natural cold water. And meanwhile, the village brings the song to an end and disperses. The villagers will return slow, shortly, usually the next morning, to undo the shrine and return every piece of it to nature. The indigenous believes that only nature can take these pieces and process the energy from them like a spiritual form of composting. This type of ritual befits a large group and handles a variety of emotions without attention to too many specific details and without making the individual feel lost and ineffectual. What people share in common is the sense of loss. And this alone is enough to spare them on. A periodic return to this kind of ritual has positive consequences far beyond that which words can express. Water is the focus of this type of ritual because it represents reconciliation and the return of balance. In tribal life, one does not have to save one's grief patiently waiting for someone to die. The tribe is big enough to experience death almost on a daily basis. So emotions are released and one is reconciled to loss continually. Villagers gauge the amount of grief that is built up in them by the barometer of their joy. When emotion has been fully unloaded, the rush of joy that fills you up can last for days or weeks. And when the feeling of joy subsides, grief is again building and will soon require another release. So that ends the, the section 
um, brothers and sisters that's dealing with the communal grief process. And what follows is the ritual of reconciliation. And I will continue tomorrow evening uh, reviewing these various aspects of ritual and, of course, continue at this point of uh, the ritual of reconciliation. I would be remiss if I did not mention the fact that I have another website, and that's titled drumsofchange.com. And at that site, you will be able to purchase drums for your home as a gift to a loved one or a friend or acquaintance, anyone that you deem um, being required to own a drum. It is my philosophy, it's my purpose, it's my, I'm charged with spreading the word about the drum being an essential instrument in every home of those of us of African descent throughout the African diaspora. So I urge you, if you do not have a drum in your home, to go to my site, drumsofchange.com, review the drum store uh, inventory. We have drums priced as low as $29.00 including shipping and handling, and, and above, these drums come from West African countries, um, such as Senegal, Ghana, Nigeria, and I just hope that if you do not have a drum, that you will not tarry and to purchase one, and then once you purchase it, to learn how to play it, either yourself or to designate a member of the family to learn how to play the drum. We're using the drum, as Maladoma stated earlier, as a way of incorporating ritual within the family. From healing to acknowledging and, and our ancestors to acknowledge each other from a new birth, someone coming into the earth world or someone who has departed and transitioned and became an ancestor. And of course, any significant event that has happened between that, those two uh, occurrences, weddings, birthdays, initiations, graduation, etc. So again, that's drumsofchange.com. And of course, this book and other books that I review can be purchased at the site of drumsofchange.com. We have a bookstore as well. And quite a bit of content. On the first page, you'll see a video of me uh, participating in a uh, song titled Connections with Brother Tyrone Jefferson and Carla Cook, Grammy-nominated jazz singer, my brother, my spiritual brother, Abby Aduno Yewoli. As a matter of fact, the same CD we recorded, Amira uh, Baraka, um, and that was such an honor to have both of them on the, that recording as uh, the uh, so-called grandfathers of, of rap, of spoken word, as it were. And just a host of talented people, including Tyrone and Carla and other musicians and dancers. So, uh, oh, and I must not forget that there's also a video of me, a YouTube video of me performing 
and President Obama's uh, inauguration in 2008. And I'm celebrating the African drum. It's about a 10-minute video, and I give the message as why I feel that it's so important that we have a drum in our homes. So, again, uh, it's a pleasure to have you join us. Those of you throughout the diaspora, the African diaspora, I hope that indeed that uh, you found this uh, reading to be of interest and educational and inspiring. And as always, we end as we begin by giving honor and homage and praise to the one most high God, to our ancestors, and I acknowledge the essence of my lovely wife and her beauty and, and wisdom, and my, my lovely mother and, and her wisdom and spirit. She's now 91 years of age, and she's dear to our hearts, and we keep her in our prayers. To my daughter and her family, to my godsons and their families, to my siblings, and to all of you, my brothers and sisters throughout the cyber world and uh, network community. Namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, peace and love, all my relations. Hetepu Hotep, and have a blessed evening, and tomorrow may it be one of joy and abundance. We will talk soon.